You know, sometimes during worship, as a pastor and as a shepherd, I, I pay attention to what's going on. This is my one chance to kind of get the flock together. <laughs> Congratulations, you're the flock. Uh, I get to get the flock together and see how they're doing. And this morning, as we were worshiping, I was, I just felt like something might have been a little heavy. Something might have been a little off. And I was, so I was praying in the back. I was like, Lord, what's, what's going on? And he started to remind me of some things that happened this week, uh, just even in our community, and how it's just been a heavy, and it's been like there's a heavy on us this morning. And a lot of times, a heavy like that will show up in how we participate in worship. Now, I'm saying this not to condemn you. I'm saying this to make you aware that sometimes you need to pay attention to how you're worshiping God. Because sometimes, if you're not careful, you'll let what you're going through determine how you praise the one who's bringing you through it. Is this making sense? So, so I get it. I've had some heavy weeks in my life, too. And, and I've had to wrestle through some things also. I've also had to pay attention to my own praise. I've had to pay attention to my own worship. And sometimes... The only way out of a funk is to praise your way out. David said he commanded his soul to bless the Lord. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul. What does that tell me? That tells me that David wasn't going to let his soul and, and his condition dictate how he worshiped his God who's pulled him through everything so far. So instead, he took initiative and he said to his soul, bless the Lord, O my soul. Sometimes you need to command your soul to bless the Lord. Come on. So we're all going to go through heavy stuff. We'll be going through heavy stuff until Jesus comes back or we go home, one or the other. You're going to always go through heavy stuff, not all the time. You'll get some relief. There'll be some good seasons. But you will hit some bad seasons. Are you ready for the bad seasons? Are you ready for those things to come? That, that, that knock us down, knock us back, change our mood, change our condition. Are you ready for those things? And let me remind you that the hard times in life never created you so they don't get to define you. In fact, God will use the hard times in your life to refine you but not to define you because he's the one who defines you. All right, let's get into the notes. Today we're in Acts. I'm kind of sad. This could be the second to last week. <sighs> Man, I tell you, if we do end next week, it'll be on 35, which is to me is kind of a rounded off number. It's kind of, you know, five's halfway between 10, so I would feel good about it. Anybody else kind of think about things like that? Like, it doesn't have to be an even number. It just needs to be a right number, right? But, but who knows? God may throw me off a little bit, poke at me a little bit, and we go two more weeks. I don't know. The last chapter is kind of heavy, although this one's kind of heavy. I may even come back to this chapter next week. I don't know. In 2020, Louisiana faced three major storms on top of COVID-19. We faced Hurricane Laura, Hurricane Delta, and Tropical Storm Zeta. They all impacted the coast of Louisiana. If you would, for just a minute, I just want you to remember for just a minute I want you to go back and remember what you felt like when those storms were coming, what you felt like when the storms hit, and what you felt like after the storm when it was time to recover. 
Just for a minute. Don't stay there. I don't want you to get all anxious. We have to do a little ministry time after service. I just want you to go back and just remember for a minute what it was like. Remember the anticipation and the anxiety. There's a storm coming. Is it going to hit us? Where do we pray the storm? To Texas or Florida? Which one? Like, Some of you are feeling anxiety right now. Today I want to talk to you about storms. Might be a fitting message. The title of my message today is how to handle the storm. What is the storm? The, the storm is the next storm that's going to pop up in your life. That's the storm. So I want, I want to help you today to handle the storm. Cheryl and I have been through many storms in 25 years together. Some we've handled well, but most of them, we totally blew it. Can I just be real with you today? We didn't always get it right. We've not crossed over 500 yet. Like we've not, we're, all my sports fans know what that means. I mean, we're not winning more than we, anyway. We've been through a lot. And when storms come, sometimes they take us by surprise. There's not always an announcement when a storm comes. And it can throw you off. Storms can throw us off mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, right? Storms can just hit you from out of the blue and throw you off. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They'll just come into your life, not even ask permission, and just hit you. And before you know it, you're disoriented. We can't always stop the storms from coming. And we need to be aware that there's more storms coming. We just need to get better at handling storms. You see, storms create this tension, especially in marriage. Can I get a witness? <laughs> and that tension has to be managed because unmanaged tension leads to trouble every time. We're going through a storm is not an excuse to act like a buffoon. We're going through a storm is a reason to step into what God's called you to and to step into what God's empowered you to and to walk through the storm and not to let the storm walk through you. Well, we're just going through something. Okay, but what are you doing with it? Is it good? If I smile, does it make it feel better? All right, so we're in Acts chapter 27. I want to talk to you today about storms. By the way, let me give you something to praise about. We haven't seen a storm this year. And don't tell me no fingers crossed. I'm just like, we haven't seen a storm this year. Praise God. I'm going to thank him that there's been no storms our way in the name of Jesus. They're all hooking a right and going north. I'm like, go, bro. Them cold people need some warm breeze anyway. So. <laughs> so we left off last week uh, where King Agrippa and, and his wife Bernice and Governor Festus had just heard Paul's case again. And remember, Agrippa says, Paul, do you think you can convert me so quickly? And Paul was like, bro, I already delivered the message, man. Like, like you, you don't even know what I just did. It was so cool. And so they're, they're walking out of the courtroom, and they're all talking, and they're saying, you know, this guy could have been set free. If he wouldn't have appealed to Caesar, he could have been set free. But you got to remember, we talked about last week how Paul was on a course. He was on a journey. He had set his sails to go to Rome. That's where the Holy Ghost had told him to go. 
and he was heading to Rome, and to go any other direction would be to go outside of God's will. To go backwards, Paul's like, I'm not even created to go backwards. I'm created to go forward to Rome. So I'll appeal to Caesar to get to Rome because God wants me in Rome. It's not what I want. It's what God wants, right? And so now we see where Paul is getting ready to leave Caesarea. Remember, Paul was under protective custody. He was under house arrest. He had freedoms. Remember uh, Herod's uh, praetorium he was staying in? Seaside. Palace, come on, somebody. He was like in a witness protection program with benefits. Come on. And so Paul's getting ready to set sail to to Rome. And that's where we pick the story up in chapter 27. Go with me to verse 1. It says, When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristarchus. (laughs) <laughs> remember Aristocus? How many of you remember Aristocus? Oh, come on. Aristocus was only like four or five weeks ago. Aristocus was one of Paul's buddies who traveled from Asia to, to Jerusalem with him. Remember, sometimes you think you're alone and you're really not alone. Paul had almost 12 guys traveling with him the whole time. So Aristocus, say Aristocus. I'm probably butchering his name, but it sounds like it makes sense to me, Aristarchus. He's from Macedonia or from Thessalonica, also was with us. Notice something here. It says, we, we left on a ship whose home port was, I am going to say that name, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. I'm going to prove to you today that you need some folks in your life. Real quick, Paul on his way to Italy, had Aristarchus and he had Luke. When the Bible says we left on a ship, that's Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke's been with Paul the whole time. Who's walking with you? Who's, who, who can write your story? Who's close enough to you to write your story? Or are you still the Lone Ranger? Without a Tonto. Come on, somebody. Even Lone Ranger needed a Tonto. Paul was not alone. Paul was with other prisoners also. Not that they were helping him out. But they were shipping all the prisoners to Italy to stand trial before Caesar. Before, uh, yeah, Caesar. And they pile them on a ship and they take off. And the ship's supposed to hit a couple of different places, offload, onload. There's this, there's this Roman officer named Julius, and Julius is a really cool guy, in my opinion, because he, he, I think he understood who Paul was, and he saw something about Paul that, that, that he respected and he honored. They actually stopped at a shore, they stopped at a port, and Julius just let Paul go. Like, be back in five days, bro. And the Bible, actually, when you read chapter 27, it says that, that Julius let Paul go so that his friends could take care of his needs. And so the ship's sailing. It's making different stops. Paul has freedoms. He's on his way to Italy. The problem we have, though, is that they're getting at the end of sailing season. Sailing season went from November to March. I mean, Sailing season went from March to November. 
Come November, the seas got so rough that no one sailed anymore in this area. How many of you have seen the movie, De or the, the show Deadliest Catch? Okay, you see when those north, they, they call them nor'easters come through? Shake your head or something, because otherwise I'm going to start preaching Deadliest Catch. The nor'easters come through, you know, and the big old ships are the and they're trying to hang on for dear life and they're trying to catch crabs and all that mess. Sketchy. That's what would happen in the Mediterranean Sea between November and March, so they would shut the sailing down. It's estimated that Paul and these guys are trying to travel somewhere around the end of September or mid-October. They're trying to get Paul and these other prisoners to Italy, and they're trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea at the wrong time. Time is running out, okay? Just trying to give you a little bit of context. Paul's journey from Rome, Paul's journey to Rome should have taken only about a month with all the stops they had to take. It took him nearly six months. What should have taken him a month took him almost six months. I want you to write this down today. Keep in mind that some storms last longer than others. Keep in mind that some storms last longer than others, and sometimes you keep yourself in a storm that you don't belong in anymore. We'll get to that in a minute. But sometimes just the storm itself is a longer storm than you anticipated or expected. And I don't want you to get discouraged if a storm goes a little bit long. Lose a loved one. Lose somebody close to you and see how long the storm will last. Go through a sickness or a disease and see how, storm, how long the storm may last. So the weather's getting worse. The time of travel is very short. The captain and the sailors want to push on. They actually struggle to make it to this place called Fairhaven. It's a small port on an island, on the south side of, of an island. They make it to this port called Fairhaven, and the, the, the word Fairhaven means good port. So they make it to this port called Good, and they're actually protected on four corners. When you look at the map, you see that this is a good spot to stop. The weather had gotten really bad. They found a place to stop. They, they could have just stayed there for the winter. They could have stayed there from whenever they stopped in November to March, and then in March take off and sail to Italy. That would have been the safest thing they could do. Remember, there was no powered boats. <laughs> it was sails and wooden boats. Y'all don't even know what that is. They could have stopped at Fairhaven, and they did, but they decided to push on to Phoenix because Phoenix was a, a bigger port and better for them to winter at, so they thought. And so for selfish reasons, reasons and for comfort, they decided to push on from Fairhaven to Phoenix. That's about a 60-mile journey. Now, they barely made it to Fairhaven. They're on this ship. Are you tracking with me? I'm trying to give you some context. They, they barely make it to Fairhaven. They want to push on to Phoenix another 60 miles. Paul comes up and says, listen, guys, we don't need to do this. Like, the best thing we can do is just stay right here. Now, this is really cool because I don't know if you know this, but Paul has already been shipwrecked twice before this one. This will be Paul's third shipwreck. How many of you have been in a shipwreck? 
I'm not talking about road, running your, uh, your rowboat against the bank real hard. I mean, Paul didn't want to move on, but they did. Let me give you three thoughts today on how to handle the storm. Number one, if you're going to handle the storms that come at you in life, you're going to need to really get really good at clear and cool communication. Clear and cool, not cloudy and hot. Come on, somebody. Clear and cool communication. Verse 9. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall, and Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on, shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed port, a harbor, which is not true, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. So Paul talks to the powers that be, says, man, listen, let me give you a warning. We don't need to move on. We need to stay right here. They don't listen to him. They disregard him and they take off. This is what's crazy is the day they take off, all the winds cease. It gets really calm. It says it was just a gentle breeze blowing. And they said, we can make it 60 miles. And so they take off. <laughs> and then trouble comes. We're going to get to that in a minute. You see, they wanted to go to a better place to spend the winter. How many of you like to go to better places? How many of you can sometimes believe the lie that a better place is not your house? Some folks believe a better place is not church. How many of you can find yourselves longing for a better place? I saw a picture of a log cabin this week, and I showed it to Cheryl, and she was like, I was like, yeah, right, me too. Like, can we go? Like, right now? They wanted to be in a better place. Sometimes a better place and the desire for a better place can get you into trouble. You see, their greed and their desire for comfort gets in the way of their good sense every time. I'm going to say that slow. Greed and a desire for comfort will get in the way of good sense every time. Greed and comfort will keep you in storms that you don't belong in. Ah. Phew. Sometimes we stay in storms because we don't want to handle the storm. We just want to stay comfortable. So we don't do nothing with the storm. We don't, we don't address the storm. We don't go after the storm. We don't try to handle the storm. We just sit in the storm of life trying to hang on to something that we consider comfort that's not comfort at all. And all you're doing is you're prolonging the process of the storm. That's one of the reasons when, when trouble comes up relationally for me, if it's friends, if it's church members, if it's my family, I, I'm adamant about going after the trouble. Like, I'm going to settle this thing. I'm, not, I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm not letting the sun go down on this dysfunction. I'm going to press into it. Why? Because I don't want to stay in this storm any longer than I need to. 
So I'm not going to sit in a place of pretending that everything's okay and hoping that it's okay or trying to act like it's okay. I don't act well. Is this making sense? If there's an issue with me and Cheryl, we going to handle it. Quickly. Why? Because I want the storm out my house. If there's issues with me and the kids, we going to handle it. Why? Because I want the storm out my house. I don't want to stay in a storm any longer than I have to. So I will go and have hard conversations with the person I love the most, risking everything, risking my comfort, risking my pretending. I'm going to go have a hard conversation about the art that's between us and calm the storm. If it's a spiritual storm, I'm not going to sit back and be complacent. We're going to go to war. (laughs) I don't like storms. I hate hurricanes with a passion. I hate the humidity and the mosquitoes that come after a hurricane more than anything else in the world. I don't mind cutting a tree. I just don't like the mosquitoes. So when it comes to relational storms or spiritual storms, I don't like all the things that come with it. So because I don't like all the things that come with it, the lack of sleep, the turmoil, the disruption in my soul, I don't like all that. Like, I don't like mosquitoes. So I'm going to get up and handle my business, and I'm going to tackle the storm, and I'm going to go after it. Amen? I'm not going to sit back and let the storm beat me down. I don't want to stay longer than I have to. So you got to understand this. As the pressure increases in your life, communication needs to increase, but the right kind of communication. This is the problem that we have. When pressures build, we either get fussy or we get quiet. Nothing gets fixed with fussy and quiet. When the pressure increases, communication needs to increase as well as extreme clarity. Poor Leeson had the, the privilege of riding to New Orleans this week with Cheryl and I. <laughs> and she got to see our banter in the, in the car in traffic. Everything was fine until we hit Baton Rouge. Then there's these little sharp things that we say, can I get a witness, Leeson? Come on. She would go, she would go, oh, Lord. And Cheryl would remind her that, oh, this ain't nothing. <laughs> and it wasn't bad, really, for us compared to what, I guess, we, all, we can only compare what we used to be. Like, it, I mean, we would, like, get out of the car, like, just on the side of the road. Like, you can drive. I'm, I'm walking home. <laughs> yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> when pressure increases... Communication has to increase with coolness and clarity. It's funny how when pressure increases, our patience seems to decrease, right? And communication, where does it go? Right out the window. So Paul's trying to communicate to the crew We need to stay here. They're not listening to him. What do you do when people don't listen to you? It's a question that's been running through my head all week. 
What do you do when people don't listen to you? How do you respond? How do you act? Are you an I told you so person? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Some of y'all like, your hand was about to jump. I told you so. Watch verse 21. No one had eaten for a long time. That's reason enough to be under some pressure right there. How are you when you get hangry? Patience goes out the window and you get sharp, right? Not sharp in a good way, sharp in a bad way. No one had eaten for a long time. Tell me the tension wasn't high. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. Now, you might be thinking Paul was an I told you so kind of guy. That's not what he said. And I told you so kind of person has the wrong attitude. Because when somebody walks and says, I told you so, they're just trying to prove that they're right and that you're wrong. They're not really trying to help the situation. Pay attention to Paul's response because it's worth grabbing the nugget out of it. He says this, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. Why did he say that? Because they needed to know that they needed to listen to him because he knew what was going on. They needed to listen to him, watch this, because he knew where they were getting ready to go. So he didn't step up with the wrong attitude and say, I told you so, you bunch of sorry suckers. I told y'all. That don't fix nothing. That just causes more trouble. Nobody wants to talk to an I told you so person. You ain't always right. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. So to handle a storm, you need cool, clear communication. Let me give you the opposite of that. Frustration and fussing fan the flames of anxieties. Write that down. You're going to need that for your next field trip. Fussing and frustrations fan the flames of anxieties. Fussing and frustrations. You know you can be frustrated by the way you breathe. Be married for 25 years. We know. We know. That little exhale. Oh, don't catch an attitude with me. Oh, no, boy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just my, I was like, I was just breathing. No, you weren't breathing. You got to, I've been with you for 25 years. Some of y'all are going, have you been outside my window? Listening to my house? Cheryl's not like that at all. Right, babe? Right. So you need clear, cool communication. Number two, you need words of faith. Words of faith. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this one because they got some stuff I need to unpack. You need some words of faith because some of you state the obvious too often. Words of faith, verse 22, watch this. So the storm's getting worse. They, they left New uh, uh, Fairhaven, and they're heading to Phoenix. The minute they left with the cool breeze, the minute they left, this, this nor'easter blew in. And if you'll look at a map, they could have went straight across to Italy. They said they went on, the, they followed the coastline, and then they came across, and they hit this island 
And when they left Fairhaven to go to Phoenix, only 60 miles away, the minute they left, the Nor'easter came and blew them almost to Africa. It took them. And that's the Nor'easter you see on, on Deadliest Catch. That's those big, those big waves that are taller than the ship. And this is a wooden boat with sails. Stuck together without nails, probably. I don't know. So things are getting scary. They're throwing stuff overboard. They've thrown the gear overboard. They've thrown the, the, the luggage overboard. There's, the only thing left on board is the passengers and the wheat they were carrying. And it's getting highly, highly intense. And Paul steps into a moment, into this moment with a word of faith. And you're going to have to get this today. Watch what Paul says. He says, but take courage. That's the first thing he says, exclamation mark. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. Don't tell me you need to pay attention to who your friends are. You need to go, you need to hang out with some friends that know how to survive a storm. So take courage, for I believe God, it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Let's unpack this for a minute, because Paul steps in with a word of faith, and you're going to have to have a word of faith, and you're going to have to know how to get a word of faith in order to have a word of faith. Are you with me this morning? So I need you to open your ears and open your eyes and open your heart, because you know, you're going to need to grab a hold of this this morning. First thing Paul walks in with, he walks in and he says, take courage. He walks in with a sharp word, just a bah, just changes the situation. But take courage. When you walk in with a faith word like that, it's counter-conditional. It's something that goes against the current condition. It, everybody's talking about, oh my God, we're going to do this, oh my God, this, the ship said, oh my God, we're broke, oh my God, I'm sick, oh my God. And somebody walks in, take courage. It's a sharp word that snaps you out of a bad position. Take courage. Paul walks in with a word of faith that was counter-conditional. When you got a storm and you're in the middle of a storm, you don't need the obvious. Oh my God, we're in a storm. Yeah, we know. We're going to die. I don't know. But take courage. Watch what he says next. He says, none of you will lose your lives. That's a word of faith. How many of you would agree? That's a word of faith, right? None of you will lose your, that's counter-conditional. The storm was screaming death, Paul stating life. A word of faith is always counter-conditional. It doesn't agree with the condition you're in. It's counter-conditional. It disagrees with the condition, and it's the opposite of that condition. None of you will lose your life. That's a word of faith. Take courage. That's a word of faith. Let me, I just had this, this thought this week. I had this question. When do you need a word of faith? You ever wonder? Like, when do I need to get a word of faith? Or when do I need to have a word of faith? Holy Spirit told me, the minute you start to sense courage slipping away, you need a word of faith. 
So don't let it slip all the way to Basil. Catch it before it gets to Walmart and put a word of faith on it. Come on, somebody. The minute you sense courage slipping away, get you a word of faith. Husbands and wives, the minute you see one or the other one's courage slipping away, come in with a word of faith. Come on, don't let them slip. Then Paul makes this statement. He says, take courage. None of you will lose your lives. And then he goes, even though the ship will go down. Is that still a word of faith? Is it? Are you sure? Is, is it a word of faith? That's a good question, isn't it? So like, was this whole statement a statement of faith or was like only the first parts that we agree with a statement of faith? Take courage, that's a statement of faith. None of you will lose your lives, that's a word of faith. Even though the ship goes down, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Why didn't Paul say the ship's not going to go down? Did he not have enough faith for the ship to stay afloat? Hmm. I'm going to tell you, faith has gotten a bad rap lately. <clears throat> you see, this statement of Paul's can be twisted real easy if you don't understand the reality of faith. How many of you have heard the verse that faith is the substance of things hoped for with the evidence of things not yet seen? How many of you have heard that verse? Right? That's a Hebrews. It comes from Hebrews chapter 11, known as the faith chapter. It's right at the top. Faith is the substance of things hoped for with the evidence of things unseen. What's funny is, is most people think that's the definition of faith. That's not the definition of faith. That's a description of faith. That statement tells you what faith looks like as it's walking out. It's not a definition. It's a description. What is faith? Well, this is what faith is. This is what it looks like. It's the, the, the faith is the substance of things hoped for with the evidence of things not seen. It's a description of what faith looks like as it's being walked out. The definition of faith is to simply put your trust in God and what he says. You got saved because you believed that Jesus actually went to the cross. That's how you got saved. You're saved because you believe that God raised him from the dead and he's sitting at the right hand of God. You believed God at his word. That's what faith is. That's the definition of faith. What is faith? Faith is to believe God. It's to trust God. What does faith look like? It's the substance of things hoped for with the evidence of things not yet seen. Just track with me. That's the description. So where did Paul's faith come from? Did it come from his desire? Did it come from his hope? Did it come from his fear? Where did Paul get this word of faith from? 
You got to know this. As a believer, you have to know this. Where did Paul get his faith from? Was it his desire? Was it his fear? Was it his hopes? <laughs> There's people sitting in this room today because you're wounded. There's people sitting in this room today and you're wounded in your faith because you thought your faith came from your hope and faith doesn't come from hope. So you hoped something would happen and it didn't happen and your faith has been wounded and you're now sitting in a spot bleeding, dying spiritually because you put your, your faith in the wrong thing. You put it in your hope. Faith doesn't come from hope. It's the substance of things hoped for, but that's not where it comes from. Help us, Lord. His word of faith came from God, not from his inner desire or his fears. Where will you get the faith you need to go through the next storm? From God. Period. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. Author is the one who wrote it. If you need faith, you might ought to go to the one who created it. Can I get a word? So just because the ship wrecked doesn't mean that Paul didn't have faith. Ay, caramba. Well, maybe if Paul had a little bit more faith, the ship would have made it to the bank. Just because it didn't go like you wanted it to go doesn't mean that it wasn't faith and you didn't have faith. Ah! His faith didn't come from a lofty idea of how life should be. And so then he takes his lofty idea and he places it on God like, you got to do what I say you got to do. That's not how faith works. That's manipulation. And that's you trying to make God become your servant. So I can't take some lofty idea of how I think things should go and apply it to my situation and say, God, now you got to show up and do it this way. No, no, no. No, no, no. Where does faith come from? It comes from the word of God. Watch it. Here it is. You see, Paul's faith was good whether the ship wrecked or not. Romans 10, 17. I would encourage you to dissect this verse. It's, it's not long. I would just encourage you to dissect it. Romans 10, 17. So it says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So where does faith come from? It comes by hearing from the word of God. So when you hear the word of God, faith comes. <laughs> You got that? So when I hear the word of God, faith comes. I'm going to say that one more time. When I hear the word of God, faith comes. It comes by hearing the word of God. So when you don't have faith, what do you need to do? Hear the word of God. 
That's why Facebook will let you down. That's why social media will let you down. That's why other people's words will let you down unless they're words of God. That's why you don't need to run to anybody else but God when you're initially in a storm because he's got the word of faith for you that no one else can give you. So we don't go to social things. We don't go to other people. We go to God. And we get a word of faith. Now, let's unpack that verse. The word word, catch that, the word word here. (laughs) I didn't know, I, I tried to come up with a better way to say that. There's just no better way. The word word in this verse in the Greek is the word rhema. R-H-E-M-A, rhema. There's two Greek words that when, when translated into English, they both mean word. It's rhema and it's logos. There's two Greek words. When they're translated into English, they both mean word. Paul is telling us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema word of God. Stick with me. You're going to need this. Rhema means specific. Rhema is either the spoken or the written word of God specific to your situation. I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. Rhema means specific. Logos means general. So logos is general. It's, it's the Bible for everyone. It's, it's reading God's word in general. It's, it applies to everything, right? It's, it's God's word in general. Rhema is a specific word. It's either something God speaks to you through the Holy Spirit. It may be a verse that he drops into your spirit, and you go to that verse, and you get yourself a rhema word, a specific word for your situation. When Pastor Josh and Lindsay were going through the, the things with, with Joel, their, their youngest son, when he was diagnosed with uh, PH, pulmonary hypertension, I can't believe I remember that. Josh's grandmother went before the Lord and got a rhema word and sent that word to Josh in the hospital, and that's the word they hung on to through that whole storm. It was a specific word. It was a scripture a specific scripture applying to their situation. It was a rhema word. Okay, you got that? Okay, now I'm going to unpack it a little bit more. So when you're going through a storm, or when you need faith, you need a rhema word. What does that mean? Not Pacific, specific. <laughs> You thought you was Pacific, but you was Atlantic. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You need a specific word for your situation. First, you got to believe that God will give you that word before you can actually receive that word. Which, by the way, is faith. So Bill Hammond said it this way. He said, Logos is a well of water while Rhema is a bowl of water from that well. Does that make sense? He also said it this way. Logos is the keys on a piano, 88 keys. Rhema is one key. General, 
specific. Logos is general. Rhema is specific. So when Paul saw that the storm was getting serious, he got a rhema word from God to handle that storm. When you sense a storm coming, you better go get a rhema word from God. And I pray for you, I pray for you that that rhema word from God is coming from the Logos well in your soul. All right, I'm going to get up in your grits for a minute. It's hard to get a rhema when you ain't got the Logos. It's hard to get a rhema when you ain't got the Logos. Because it's hard to know if it's God if you don't know God. Come on, somebody. So we sit around and we get complacent and lazy in our Bible reading and our Bible studying only to hurt ourselves for when a storm comes, we're looking around for a rhema, but we ain't got no logos. So I'm running for my Bible and I'm running to the pastor and I'm running to everybody else to give me a rhema because I didn't go get some logos for myself. It should come from the well of logos in your soul. Because sometimes storms come unannounced. When my grandmother died, it happened like that. She got in a wreck and died. There was no time to go grab my Bible. There was no time to study scripture. No time to sit out and and dig through the Greek and and go get me some logos. I should have had the logos. And I did. And I'm grateful I had the logos. Because out of the logos, God pulled a rhema for my situation, and I was ready when the storm hit. I wasn't in the middle of the storm crying like a baby trying to get a rhema. Ah. It's like spinning. Let me be careful. Can I say that? It's like being, (laughs) you better be, (laughs) I'm trying to clean it up. (laughs) It's like being complacent with your money, wasting your money, and then going to another entity to get some help. That's what it's like to not have a Logos word in your soul. You're not taking the time, the 24 hours a day that God's given you and placing this. The Bible says to hide this in your heart. Hide it in your heart. He didn't say to go find it. He said to hide it in your heart. So you need to be a good steward of God's word, his logos word. Put it in your heart like you need to be a good steward of your finances. So when the money gets funny, you got some extra to bring you through and you don't have to go to a separate entity to help you out. Ah! You might not have time to find your Bible, and somebody might not answer the phone. You know, there's preachers dying all over the world today because people don't know how to go get a logos for themselves. So they run to the preacher or to the spiritual leader or the life group leader, and they, they, just, they just rely on them to be their word now. 
It's refreshing when somebody says, man, Pastor, I'm going through a storm, but let me show you what God gave me. I'm like, oh, whoa, give, give me some of that. Oh, hallelujah, I'll get up out of my chair. Like, come on, tell me that word. Why? Because you came ready. Not deprived. And it doesn't mean I won't help you. I'll help you. I'll help you. You see, it's important because every rhema word you get from God needs to be tested. (laughs) You think the devil just going to let you get a rhema word and go untested? You don't think he's going to try to slip some... He's going to try to put some salt in your Cheerios, I'm telling you. He's going to try to put a little something in your rhema word if you're not careful. Every word needs to be tested. There's three ways to test a word. It's one is by the, the peace that comes from the Holy Spirit when you receive it. If you receive a word and it's, there's not peace there, you need to check that with somebody else. Then you need the second way to test a word is to check it with the logos. You get a rhema word, you need to check it with the logos. If it don't line up with logos, throw it in the trash. It's from the devil, right? The third, word, the third way to test a word is to get next to somebody who's more spiritual than you are, more mature than you are, and share that word with them and let them test it. So I've gotten a rhema word at times and wasn't sure. I didn't have the peace that, that I should have had. So I went to somebody who was leading me. I said, hey, listen, this is what God's telling me. I believe this is what he wants me to do. He gave me this word. What do you think? And they received the peace for me. They went, that's a word of God. It lines up with scripture, and I sensed the peace when you told it to me. Is this too much? So it has to be tested. Why? Because the enemy will slip some salt in your Cheerios. I'm just telling you. He's going to mess your stuff up. He's tried it on me. So when you're going through a storm, what do you need? A specific word from God. Well, what if he don't give me nothing? Then don't get up. But I got to be so-and-so. I got to be over there. So what? What's more important, the word from God or Little League? What's more important? The word from God or your grocery pickup at Walmart? (laughs) Well, pastor, you know, <laughs> I could almost just, now I'm joking. <laughs> but God's, God's never spoken to me like that before. Good! You get to have your first time! Man, I'm excited for you! I'm excited that you get to walk out of church today and go to God for a rhema word. Watch Paul's word. Here's Paul's rhema. What does he say? Take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. And here it is. For last night, an angel of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, this is his, here's his word. Do not be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, 
God is in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. That's his rhema. Do you see it? Paul took his rhema in the middle of a storm, brought it to the crew, and said, here's the word. Here's the opposite of that. Complaining kills faith. It never builds faith. You know the easiest thing I I can do is complain? It's the most natural thing for me. I can meet somebody at the gas pumps and just start complaining. God, it's mosquitoes, man. Bruh, they come spread the house. Them things don't die. Bruh, these gas prices. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, man. I don't even have to try. I don't even have to think. It just... Comes out of my mouth. Complaining comes out of my mouth. Complaining never builds faith. Complaining is just stating the obvious. My situation stinks. So let's keep talking about that. <laughs> All right, let me move on. So number one, you need clear and cool. Say cool. Communication, you need words of faith. Number three, you need acts of faith. Because it's a tad bit hypocritical to have a word of faith with no act of faith. So it's getting rough, y'all. The ship's about to go down. They're trying to figure out what to do. The sailors are about to jump ship and jump on the lifeboat. Paul tells the soldiers if they get off the boat, we're all going to die. So they cut, the, they cut the rope to the lifeboat and let it go so that the sailors wouldn't jump off. And basically, they run the ship aground. Right before it hits ground, watch what Paul does. He acts, he has an act of faith or acts of faith, number three. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good. Catch that. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Watch this. Verse 36 is tricky. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. They got encouraged before they ate. That's like being hangry and it going away before you eat something. Tell me that ain't a miracle. All 276 of us who were on board. So Paul tells them his word of faith. The the condition gets worse. Come on. Just because he shared the word of faith doesn't mean that the condition got better. (laughs) It got worse. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have faith. Then he stands in front of them and he gives them an act of faith. He says, take some food because you're going to need some strength. It was an act of faith. Paul acted on the word of faith that he received, that not anyone will lose their life even though the ship goes down. His action was, this is my part. We need to eat something 
Because we about to swim, bro. We're not about to swim in the pool. We're about to swim in the storm. So we're going to need to get something inside of us that's going to give us some strength to make it to the bank. It was an act of faith. You see, if you're going to say you believe God, you need to act like you believe God. You know what speaks louder than your words? Your actions. Most people don't want to hear what you got to say, but they'll sure look at what you got to do. They're not reading your lips, they're reading your actions. If you believe God, you need to act like it. Now, don't get me wrong. They all were looking like they'd been through a storm. Hair jacked up, stressed out, lost some weight. I mean, they ain't eight in two weeks. I'd be, oh, well, not skinny, but like getting close. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, y'all would say like, Pastor, what's wrong with you? I, I've been through a storm. They look like, but they, but Paul was acting like he had, like he believed God, no matter what he looked like. So I'm not telling you if a loved one dies, you need to pretend that everything's fine. No, it hurts like hell, right? And you need to be real about that. It hurts, but I still believe God and I'm still acting like I believe God. Paul encouraged them to eat because they would need strength because he believed what God said. You see, when you believe what God says, you act on that. You act on what God says. If you're born again, you have no business acting like the world. You should be so far apart from the world that it's ridiculous. Come on. But yet time and time again, Christians keep wanting to act like the world and look like the world and try to fit in with the world. If you're a born-again believer, you should walk through things differently than the folks that aren't. Come on. They should see something different about you. Not something fake. Something different. They should see a hope inside of you that makes no sense. They should see a peace about you that makes no sense. They should see something on you that points to Jesus and to something greater than yourself. So Paul acts, his acts of faith come from the substance of what he believed and will become the evidence of what was not yet seen. They all made it to the shore. Every single one of them. Do you know acts of faith are what prepare you for God's deliverance? There's people in this room trusting God to deliver you from something or out of something. And maybe God's waiting on your act of faith. If Paul doesn't encourage them to eat, I don't know how many of them make it to the bank. 
acts of faith. So we need to act like we believe God if we believe God. And here's the opposite of that. Sitting around and pouting never changes anything. Can I get an amen? There's a storm coming. Not to Louisiana. Some of you are in the middle of a storm right now. And maybe today was your word of faith. Praise God for that. If that's the case. But the God who saved you, the God who sent his son for you, the God who paid the highest price possible for you has a word for you. And you need to believe that. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. In fact, when somebody else comes around, they don't even recognize that voice. They only recognize my voice. That tells me that as a believer, as a follower of Christ, I need to so know his voice that anything that sounds a little bit different, it's fishy. Right? So God wants to speak to you. He wants to give you a rhema for your storm. But let me encourage you as your pastor to fill your tank up with some logos. Get you some logos. That way when the storm comes, you're not shuffling trying to find your Bible. Texting people, have you seen my Bible? Have you seen my Bible? Anybody know where my Bible's at? And did I step on your toes? Some of y'all got a little shuffled by that. Let's pray. Lord, you're fully aware of every storm that's coming our direction. There are times where we can speak to that storm and command it to die, and it'll die. But there's times where you want us to go through that storm. When I'm thinking about Paul, Lord, Paul ends up on the island of Malta, where he spends almost four months preaching the gospel, healing the sick. Every person on that island was was healed because of that storm. God, help us to be people that don't admire storms as much as we admire you. Help us to be people that trust you before we trust anything else to get through a storm. God, help us to be people that load our tanks with logos. That God, we're students of your word. We're hungry for your word. Never satisfied. Can't get enough. We take the logos and we bury it in our hearts so when a storm comes, a rhema pops up. Lord, may we be that church that is word-based. We're a church that stands on your word and lives on your word and acts on your word. God, may our faith come from your rhema word. May we be a church that knows how to hear from our God. Not a church that longs to hear from our God, but a church that knows how to hear from our God. So every lie of the enemy, I come against it right now in the name of Jesus and I command it to die. I tear down those strongholds in the name of Jesus because Jesus himself said that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. So Jesus, that's a word for us today. That's our rhema word. When the enemy says that you don't speak, I apply that word to that situation because your sheep know your voice. Your sheep know you. So I tear down that stronghold today in the name of Jesus. We are your people. We're set apart for a purpose. No storm defines us. No thing defines us. This world doesn't define us. God, you define us. 
We thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to be stormtroopers. <laughs> Fully aware of what's coming. Not afraid. Not afraid. Ready. Ready, but not afraid. The Lord would say to some of you here today, that fear that you're wrestling with, is not fear of the thing standing in front of you. It's fear of your unpreparedness. You're afraid because you're not prepared. The Lord would say, get prepared. Hide, hide my word in your heart. Help us today. Today. In Jesus' name.